This is Faithful Sayings, broadcast by the Leon Valley Church of Christ. I appreciate you tuning in today. I want to begin in Exodus 32, Exodus chapter 32, and read at least some of the story here that takes place and uh, make some modern applications with regard to religious error uh, that is so pervasive in the world. So this is Exodus 32, and you, you may know, but it's it's the in the historical context, this is wherein the Hebrews have been taken out of Egypt and delivered by God, and they've come to Mount Sinai. And Moses is on the mountain, and he is receiving God's law. And the people are going to enter into this covenant, the old covenant with God, and agree to abide by this law. And while Moses is away on the mountain, he's there for 40 days, the people get impatient, and they decide that they need to make an idol. And Aaron, Moses' brother, who has been left behind, uh, agrees to this. And so this is this is the context that we're, that we're reading here. It says, when the people saw, verse 1 of Exodus 32, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people assembled about Aaron and said to him, come, make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And verse 2, Aaron said to them, Tear off the gold rings which are in your ears uh, and in the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. And all the people tore off the gold rings that were in their ears and they uh, they took from their hand and they fashioned it. Uh, Aaron took this from their hand and he fashioned it with a graving tool and made it into a molten calf. And they said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord, in verse 5. So that's a significant part of the story. Uh, as they uh, have made this idol, fashioned it, Aaron says, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord, in all caps. So he's using God's name. He's saying, Yahweh, Jehovah, uh, you know, here, here he is, and we're going to have this great celebration. So the next day, verse 6, they rose early and offered burnt offerings, and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink, and rose up to play. And the Lord spoke to Moses, Go down at once, for your people whom you have brought up from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves, and they have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. And they have made for themselves a molten calf, and they have worshipped it, and have sacrificed to it, and said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. And then God goes on to describe uh, the people is obstinate or stiff-necked and how angry he is and he's going to uh, destroy them and then make of Moses a great nation because he could do that and still fulfill his promise to Abraham, right? Basically just hit the reset button and start over and build a nation from Moses. And much of the chapter is Moses interceding here on their behalf and acting as a mediator and praying to God and then God relents uh, from the destruction that he's going to bring bring about. Uh, and then he comes back down the mountain and he confronts the people. And so you, you see that in verse 19. It, it came about as soon as Moses came near the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing and Moses' anger burned. Then he threw the tablets from his hands and he shattered them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf which they had made and burned it with fire. He ground it into powder and scattered it over the surface of the water. He made the sons of Israel to drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought such great sin upon them? 
And Aaron said, Do not let the anger of my Lord burn. You know the people yourself, that they are prone to evil. For they said to me, Make a God for us who will go before us, because Moses, we don't know what became of him. And I said to them, Whoever has any gold, let him tear it off. And I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. Now Moses saw that the people were out of control, for Aaron had let them get out of control to be a derision among their enemies. And Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Over for the Lord come to me. And then we see all the sons of Levi coming, and Moses gives them orders to um, execute several thousand people, and, and that's what happens. But I think in the course of this story, and there's and there's repentance, and eventually they get they get to work building the tabernacle and, and worshiping the true God again. Um, certainly, there's more to the account here, but I think what we've able to suffice to make some some modern day application. If you see this, because this same pattern I think unfolds time and time again. And the religious world, and it's one that we could easily dupe ourselves into as as well if we aren't careful. Uh, and what we find here are people essentially just relying on their own knowledge and and wisdom. You know, things aren't what they expect here at Mount Sinai, and they didn't think or expect or believe Moses would be gone as long as he was. And they start to rely on their own knowledge and wisdom, and they think that they know better. We don't know what's become of him, so we're going to do this. Make for us, make for us uh, a graven image uh, of our God who will go before us. And that unfolds all over the world today, sadly. And also, we see a leader here who is complicit with the people's will, with the majority of the people's will, instead of standing against the tide and reining the people in uh Aaron is is completely complicit and he he does this he says he it's his idea bring me the gold he makes the calf of course he words a little bit differently when Moses confronts him and i think it's interesting too to note that the blame for this what happens here is is placed at Aaron's feet right verse 25 Moses saw that the people were out of control for Aaron had let them get out of control to be a derision among their enemies. And I think that that really impresses upon us the the importance and uh, the, just the, the heavy responsibility that religious leaders have. In the New Testament, in the church, they are uh, called shepherds or elders or, or bishops that um, God has given qualifications for in places like 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1, and men who meet those qualifications to serve as leaders or overseers or shepherds and bishops um, do that within a local church. And that's as far as their oversight can go is just to the local church and the people that are among them. And, you know, they have, they have this within those qualifications, we see um, that they will have responsibilities like be apt to teach and, and guard the integrity also of what is taught. And, you know, they're not doing all the teaching. There's, you know, there's other teachers and there's evangelists and so on and so forth. Uh, but elders are to be, um, you know, the guardians of the, 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 the doctrine, the integrity of the doctrine to make sure that it's biblical. Just look at Titus chapter 1 towards the end of that chapter. I think around verses 9 and 10, if memory serves, how uh, Paul describes there are many uh, gainsayers, and he says their mouths need to be stopped, and so elders have to be able to rebuke and exhort and sound doctrine. And uh, the, the, the same has always been true, that God expects his leaders among his people to be grounded uh, in, in his word and his truth and stand for him. 
And this is exactly what Aaron fails to do. And so the blame is placed as laid at his feet. And, and also notice how Moses, how he frames what happens here in verse 21. If you back up a little bit, when he's, when he's questioning Aaron, he says, what do these people do to you? What do these people do to you that you've brought this great sin upon them? And so it wasn't that, you know, we read this and, you know, and I've been saying Aaron was complicit and it's true that he was, but when Moses confronts him, he like, he says like, this is might as well have been malicious intent on your part because of what you've allowed to happen. And think about that and the seriousness with which God sees these kinds of things and how he frames it. And we didn't spend a whole lot of time in the text looking at uh, the exchange that God has with Moses when the Lord reveals to him what the people have done. But we did see that he was very angry and that he was willing to destroy all of them. He intended to destroy all of them and Moses interceded. So despite the people relishing in their newfound you know, religion and idol in the name of Jehovah, and using and using his name. Remember that Aaron said, "Here is tomorrow is going to be a great feast for the Lord." All caps. I mean, he's he's using Jehovah's name, but it was nothing more than a tagline and rubber stamp for whatever the people wanted to do. I think that's the idea in the verse that says they, you know, they they sat down to eat and they got up to play. They're just they're just reveling in this in this new way, but God sees it even though they're bringing all these offerings and peace offerings and sacrifices and it looks like worship and it sounds like worship and they're using God's name, God sees it as defilement and corruption. He says the people have corrupted themselves. Go down at once. And again, the text talks about the anger of God. So, and and this is an offense worthy of destruction. And so I I think that that... uh, you know, that, that contrast should make an impression upon us because it unfolds, I, I believe, in the religious world today. And, and it's a warning to us that we could be worshiping, we could be using the Lord's name and, and, and be thinking that all is well and that we're in the right. But all the while, God sees it as defilement, corruption. He sees us under the death penalty because... We haven't come to him on his terms. We're relying on our own knowledge and wisdom and what's what's pleasing to us. And that that comes back to leadership and it comes down to, to the to the effort of every individual uh, to be satisfied with nothing less than than God's truth and and having wholehearted dedication to him. You know, how how is a local church, how are Christians going to avoid uh, making this this same mistake, but we have to be genuinely searching for truth. Hebrews eleven six. All those who come to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. So there's that qualifier. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Do I really hunger and thirst for His knowledge and His righteousness? Or am I just a hireling? Am I looking for something else um, to appease my fleshly appetites? Am I looking for an emotional high? And am I looking for a social club? Am I looking to, to you know to fill that niche in my life 
that, that I perceive that I need and that is, that is lacking? Or is it, is it really just pure, unadulterated truth? Paul told the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 2, he says, I'm worried. He says, I'm worried that in the, in the way that the serpent deceived Eve, that your minds have been led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Jesus Christ. Right, and, there, and there were a number of issues that they needed to correct, and I'm confident that they did, but Paul is, is pointing to what lay behind those issues fundamentally. It was this lack of serious consideration and concern for what real, simple, pure devotion to Jesus Christ is. They had forgotten that, and so they were dividing, and they were caught up in, in a number of different sins. But if we get swept up in, in the latest religious fads and trends and, and rely on our own think-sos, we're going to be making the same mistake. right? What's, what's ultimately driving us is not a genuine interest in search for truth and a diligent seeking of God. It is what is what is pleasing to me and what makes me feel good. And this is really what's at the, at the heart, I believe, of all religious error, ultimately. Um, whether you're talking about someone who's doing it with wide, eyes wide open or someone who's been deceived uh, into, into following those who are intentionally misleading others. And it just turns into this, you know, ego feeding kind of competition and it's all done in the name of Jehovah. And, you know, there's programs and religious programs and, and societies associated with it. And so they're, you know, they're using the right language and it sounds good. You know, as Paul says in Colossians 2 and verses 22 and 23, when he's talking about the different religious practices that were being introduced there, he says that they have uh, an appearance of wisdom, but they really have no value. They're, they're of no value whatsoever. Uh, as people were introducing, you know, uh, flogging themselves and uh, self-abasement and and observing certain days or elevating certain days. You know, there's different religious elements that they were trying to introduce into the pure and simple devotion of Jesus Christ that that weren't originally part of it. And Paul says, yeah, it looks and sounds good. And I'm paraphrasing, of course. But he says that it's of no value. And, and, and again, that's what's unfolding before us. I remember when, when I lived in Odessa, I, I would, um, I forget the name of the highway that, that connects the two cities, Odessa and Midland, but it's a, a pretty lengthy stretch of road. And there was a, you know, a couple of large churches, um, right, right off the highway. And I can remember driving by them, um, back and forth frequently. And, you know, one week there would be an advertisement for a new service or program that one of the groups was going to do. And then within that same week, you'd see, you know, the other church advertise the same thing, you know, on their billboard. Uh, and then they, they'd go kind of back and forth like this and they would build, one would build a playground, the other one build a playground and then offer daycare services or build an annex or cafeteria or gym. And then the other one would build, you know, something to compete with that. And so what I, my point is, is that you, it's easy to find folks who are looking for those kinds of things. And if you take a, a consumer's commercialized approach to winning a numbers game, you can, you can win that game and you can play that game and you compete and you can do it in the name of Jehovah and you can, you know, have a, have a big church building with, you know, Jesus's name on the side or whatever the case may be, but it's not, but all of those things betray what, what those individuals are really about. It's, it's about 
sitting down to eat and getting up to play. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's about the, the revelry and the, and the social aspect of it, which you get being, being social and having those relationships. It's not evil in and of itself, but it's not, it's not the goal. It's not the work of God's people. You just won't find truth being taught there. And I encourage you to just go and study what what the work of God's people is in the New Testament and compare it with what many churches are doing today and see if they align. God said to through Paul to Timothy that the, the, the church is the household of God and it's to be the pillar and support of the truth. And, and and that is our goal and that's our function and and of course as a result we we have the the added blessings of of uh friends and and loved ones and and people who look after our well-being and are genuinely interested in us and because that's that's part of being a disciple of of Christ um but the but the social connections and, and the things we do together that's not it's not the goal it's not the it's not the thrust of what god would have us be doing and we he wants us to glorify him in the world and and to teach others his truth we're not to legislate truth we're to uphold it and stand for it be uncompromising and not be complicit and and to uh, seek out others who are of that same mind as peter says of a like precious faith Sadly, so often, you know, the the religious world wants to measure their success as a as a church, um, as a party, as or as a local church, whatever the case may be, by uh, by their numbers or by the the projects or programs that they that they have or society, societies that they support and so on and so forth. Um. But God measures us all by the same standard, and that is his word, John twelve forty eight. Jesus said, the one who rejects me has one who judges him. The word that I spoke will judge him at, at the last day. And that's true for local churches as, as well. right? We have all of these epistles and we have all these instructions to local churches within the New, within the New Testament as to how they're to function and, and act and what their, what their role should be. And it's it's in reading through that at least so far as i can see god doesn't measure the success of his people or or local churches of his people by the size of their treasury or by beautiful buildings or social programs or events and and some of those things aren't even authorized to be supported financially by the church and it's certainly not by numbers he doesn't chart us by how many people we are because we're always in the minority. But he desires people who humble themselves before his word. Isaiah 66, 1 and 2. To this one will I look, the one who trembles at my at my word. So that we can truly honor him. 1 Peter 4, 11. Whoever speaks is to speak as the one, as, as speak as the oracles of God. Whoever serves, let him serve by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified. And he wants his people to be united in his cause. Philippians 1.27, striving together for the one cause of his gospel and sounding forth the word to win the loss. 
First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.8. People who love one another, who are devoted to one another. And that's just to name a few. Right? We could go on and on. But that's just to name a, to name a few. But but within those passages and, and others that we can see, you know, the emphasis is spiritual. It's not material. It's not social. And it's certainly not, there's no condoning of, of setting up another organization or institution to, to do your work for you, like a missionary society or something like this. You know, God gave his people work to do, and he expects each individual to do that. And wherever those individuals find themselves in the world, they are to assemble together. And, and be a team, be a local church, genuinely interested in, in, in doing these things to the best of their ability, knowing that it brings honor to Him. Not because they're numbers-driven, but because they they understand that His His Word that reveals His Son is the only hope that people have of being saved. And that whatever you convert people with, you convert people to. And so, you know, here here at Leon Valley, we just, we don't participate in those other things. And we have good relationships. And, and like I said, the, you know, there's so, certainly social benefits that come from being one of God's people and being among God's people. But it's not the focus. It's a byproduct. As, as followers of Christ, you know, I believe that, uh, I should uh, speak for myself, as a follower of Christ, I believe that all Scripture is inspired by God as he teaches in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. And so that makes his word unlike any other book on earth. And so it, and it, is, it is sufficient to, as, as Paul says there in verse 17, to make a man complete for every good work. That there's not something else that I, I need to, to offer anyone to, to convince them that uh, this is the way to God. I, I don't need to try and tease them with ice cream or some, you know, festival or party. I just need to have an honest discussion with them about the Word of God. Because Jeremiah said, I know, O Lord, that the way of man is not in himself to direct his own steps. And so every word of this is true. And, and the New Testament is his final and complete revelation that in these last days, the Hebrew writer said, he, he's spoken to us in his dear son. And so my goal then is to just simply be a Christian, to be a disciple of Christ, discern what his will is as it's revealed in his word, and to the best of my ability, fulfill that. And then find others who are willing to do the same, who, who, who want to work together as an undivided, self-governed, anti-denominational team of saints, team of Christians, a local body of Christ that believes and practices the one faith as it's revealed in Scripture. And sadly, in my judgment, and in my honest conviction because of what Scripture teaches, I think in our time, much of what is called, quote, Christianity has nothing to do with Christ and has nothing to do with His mission. And that local churches have no interest in fulfilling that mission. But we do see them 
wanting to be community social clubs or engaging in political activism or social activism and pouring resources into those things. But in the pattern that's found in the New Testament for the local church and for God's people as a whole, we are to be the pillar and support of the truth and, and strive to walk according to the pattern that was given to us. And, and a lot of people object to that language and say, well, you're just, you're just a patternist or legalist or literalist or whatever the case may be. But I'm, I'm using biblical language, I, and I encourage you to test my words against the words of Scripture. Because you'll find that's exactly what Paul is saying in places like Philippians 3.17. Walk according to the pattern that you received from us. And he's talking about the conduct of individual Christians and how the local church is to operate. So I don't, I don't have an agenda, and I firmly believe that the local church with which I work, we don't have an agenda to draw big crowds or to appeal to special interests. But we do have an agenda to teach others, to observe all that Christ has commanded us with boldness and humility. And no local church is perfect. Just look at the New Testament. That's why it was written. And so I, I, feel, I conscientiously can worship with and, and, and have fellowship with the individuals that I do because I believe we're all trying. We recognize that fact, first of all, that we're not perfect, but we're trying to learn to be pleasing to God in every respect. And just be honest about what His, what His will is for us. So again, I encourage you to look back at those passages that I've, I've mentioned today and, and read the New Testament for yourself and see what, what the work and purpose of the church is. Of course, the church is composed of individuals, so to put it another way, to see what, what the focus of an individual Christian should be. And uh, continue to pray about that. I'm going to do the same. And I welcome any questions that, that you have. You can reach me at leonvalleychurch at gmail.com. You can fill out a contact form on our website at leonvalleychurch.org. You'll find a number of resources there. Um and I hope that you make good use of those, but don't study them. Don't don't study the resources that we make available, but use them to study God's word. And any questions that you have concerning the work of the church, God's word, his people, uh, I'll, I'll do my best to answer it according to his truth. Thanks for tuning in again today. I'm Jason Garcia, and this has been Faithful Sayings.